And Hannah is going to come and read uh, to us this morning's passage uh, from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 19. Okay, so Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 19, and you can find it on the bottom right-hand side of page 788 in the Church Bibles. So that's page 788, and it's the first 19 verses. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent to Jerusalem, to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem. The craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisar, son of Shaphan, and to Gemara, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. You may say the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne. And all the people who remain in this city. Your countrymen who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword famine and plague against them, and I will make them like poor figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine and plague, and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth and an object of crushing horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declared the Lord, words that I, that I sent to them again and again by my servants and the prophets. And you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Thank you, Hannah. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we open your word this morning, we pray that we may hear your voice speak into our hearts. 
Father, open our eyes to behold beautiful and wonderful things in your word this morning. Turn our eyes to be fixed upon you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in an old church building in Yorkshire, there reads a sign which says this. In the year 1652, when through England all things sacred were either profaned or neglected, this church was built by Sir Robert Shirley, whose special praise it is to have done the best of things in the worst of times and to have hoped them in the most calamitous. It's a sign that demonstrates the faith of someone that acted in the present in light of the future. Someone that even when everything around them looked and seemed so desperate and hopeless, acted in light not of the present, but of the future. It's someone who lived and walked by faith. And that life of living by faith on God's future promises is something that hasn't changed for Christians today. 1 Peter 1 verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, that's Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And yet the life of faith isn't always easy, is it? We live in a culture today often, where often people refuse to believe in God or even to believe that there is a God. A culture where it's almost used as foolish to follow Jesus. And maybe this morning we're finding it really hard to live this life of faith, surrounded by a culture at school, at, at work, at the home. When what we see all around us in the present begins to question, begins to bring doubt on what we believe will happen in the future. Do you know, in our passage this morning, that is the position that the people Jeremiah was writing to were in. They were now in captivity in a foreign land, in a foreign city called Babylon, under a foreign king called Nebuchadnezzar surrounded by a culture that was in total opposition to the God that they trusted. And yet, as we'll see this morning, God speaks to his people living in that culture. God speaks to his people in a time where it seems so desperate and hopeless. God speaks words of hope to his people and shows them how they are to live now in light of what God is going to do in the future, how they are to live now in light of what God is going to do in the future. And as we go through our passage this morning, I've got three points, three Ps. Uh, And the first one is plant. And that's from verses one to nine. You see, our passage this morning is actually in the form of a letter that the prophet Jeremiah wrote to God's people living in exile. And if you haven't been here uh, over these Sunday mornings as we've gone through Jeremiah, or you're wondering what on earth is going on, uh, well, just to recap the story so far, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, has been showing the people just how far they have wandered from God. 
right at the start in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 11. God says, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. God's people have rejected God and they have sought to worship worthless idols in his place. And so as a result, Jeremiah then announces God's coming judgment. God has given the people chance after chance after chance to turn towards him. But their hearts, it just seems, gets harder and harder. And so God's judgment is that his people are going to be taken off into exile for 70 years. God is going to remove them from their land and take them into a foreign land. Remove them from the land that he gave them all the way back in Joshua to be captives under a foreign king. And you know, in 597 BC, Jeremiah is proved right and King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes and conquers Jerusalem. And you know, it was Babylonian custom back then that when they came in and they uh, were victorious over a city, well, they wouldn't take everyone off at once. But rather, there would be a first wave of exiles. They would take the royal officials, those that were especially educated, skilled craftsmen. Uh, we see that in verse 2. And you see, they go first and they get, well, they get this Welcome to Babylon 101 course. And they begin to be indoctrinated with Babylon culture. And those were left behind in Jerusalem. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he appoints a puppet king. We see that verse 3. King Zedekiah, that's him, that remains in Jerusalem. And yet, even though God's judgment has come on the people, Jerusalem has been captured, there are some people that we see in chapter 28 of Jeremiah, people like false prophets like Hananiah, that say, oh, it's okay. It's okay, yeah, sure, Babylon have captured us, but it's all right. It's not going to be 70 years. God's told me it's going to be two years. It's all going to be okay. It's just going to be like an extended gap year for us. That's the scene for our passage this morning. I know it's a lot of context. It's a lot of context, but hopefully it sets the scene for where we are this morning. So Jeremiah writes this letter that begins in verse 4. And he says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Do you know, it starts with God revealing to his people that this is his doing. This is not a surprise. This is not a deviation from God's plan. This is not because the Babylonian gods are stronger than the Lord. No, the Lord, the God of Israel has done this. I carried you off. Babylon's just the instrument in God's hands. But look with me at the commands that the Lord gives his people as they arrive in Babylon. Verse 5, he says, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, marry, increase in number. Verse 6. This is not the gap year that the false prophets were saying. This is going to be much longer. And God is saying, settle down. You're going to be there for a long time. Build, 
settle, plant. But also we see in verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray to the Lord for it. Now let's get in the mind of one of these exiles that's been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Wouldn't the temptation be to just gather in a bit of a holy huddle? You know, just distance yourself from the rest of the people that you're going to be living with. Uh, You know, you don't want to be a part of their culture. Why be a part of a culture? Why be in, in this pe- with this people that hate you? Why not just quietly wait out these exile years, these 70 years, quietly? And yet that's not what God tells them to do, is it? Instead of shying away from the culture they've been exiled away into, they're called to engage with it. They're called to connect with the people all around them. God says, eat what they eat. Live where they live. This is a mission focus that God gives to his people in Babylon. A mission focus that drives them to prayer. To pray for the city that they're in. To seek to bless the community that they found themselves a part of. And you know, there's no getting around the fact, would there be, that those people who had been from Jerusalem would have been so different from those people in Babylon. They're so different, they would have stood out a mile. They would have had different practices. They spoke a different language. They worshipped a different God. And yet, even though they were different, they were called to engage with the new city that they found themselves a part of. God says to be channels of his blessing, even to their captors. And you know, here this morning, we have the same tension. Do you know, the New Testament describes us as Christians, especially in the book of 1 Peter, as us being exiles, people living in Babylon, but whose real citizenship is in heaven. And although we haven't been exiled here in Catrum because of judgment, we probably just thought it was a nice place to live. Um, we are a people that are living away from our true home. You know the quote, home is where the heart is? Well, for the Christian, home is where Christ is. That's our home. This isn't our home. Home is where Christ is. Do you know, the same call is for us. You see, although we're exiles, living in Babylon, we're called to engage with the culture and the people that we live amongst. Jesus said that his people are the salt of the earth. That they are the light on top of a hill that cannot be hidden. We are to be a mission-focused people. There is a reason we are still here in the place that God has put us. Because we've got a job to do. He's got a job for his people to do, to bless, to pray for, to reach out to the city, the culture, the people that we find ourselves living amongst. Do you know, I think of the example of Daniel in the Old Testament. You know, Daniel was someone that Jeremiah was writing to. In fact, when we read through the book of Daniel, we know that Daniel was reading the words of Jeremiah. And you know, Everyone in Babylon knew that Daniel was different. They knew it. Daniel knew God's word. Daniel lived by God's word. 
And you'll love the Lord with all of his heart. The Lord was his ultimate authority. But Daniel, although he was different, he engaged with Babylon, didn't he? He learned their culture. He served Babylon. He served King Nebuchadnezzar himself. He sought to bless those around him at every moment. And yet it wasn't easy for Daniel, was it? He got sentenced to the lion's den. But Daniel, I think, lives out what Jeremiah wrote. To get involved, to pray, to reach out, living different and distinctive lives shaped by God's word. And you know, when we go into this week, we go into school, tomorrow, work, wherever it is, or do we firstly look like an exile? Do we look like someone that is different? The way that we speak, the way that we act, the priorities that we set in this earthly life, knowing that our home is not here. Our home is with Christ, and that makes a world of difference. Our home is to come. Do we look different? But secondly, are we seeking to bless and seeking the welfare of those around us? Praying for opportunities that people might look at us, see something different, and understand and know that it's only because of what Jesus has done in us. It's Jesus that's made the difference. It's him we live for. It's him we long to be with. God says plant. Plant yourselves with a mission focus. But secondly, we see promise. Promise, and that's from verses 10 to 14. Because in the last section, if we saw how God's people are to live in exile, well, this next section shows us that we are to live that way in light of what God is going to do in the future. That is our foundation. Let's read, look with me from verses 10 to 11. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God promises his people that after 70 years in exile, he's going to come and bring them home. And you know, I'm sure many of us will have heard or might know the very famous verse in verse 11. But you know, it's quite often misunderstood You see, every verse in the Bible is obviously written in a context. It has a context. It is written to a specific people in a specific time. And the problem is is that we can often make this verse so individualistic. It becomes all about me. And it almost gets to the point where I think that God is all about me. He's all about blessing me. And that my life here on earth is all about prospering and plans and hope. And there is a part of that. But you know, for example, I wonder how does Jim Elliot relate to this verse? Jim Elliot was an American missionary that went out to share the message of Jesus with unreached tribes in Ecuador. 
he and his four friends ended up being killed by the tribe's people they were trying to reach. You see, on the surface of things, he didn't prosper. His life ended at 28, the peak of his life. He was brutally harmed. He was killed on a jungle beach by the river. Did he get a hope and a future? Well, many of the newspapers reported the killing. They described it as a tragedy. No future for these five young men that were killed in Ecuador. But you know, actually, I think Jim Elliot perfectly illustrates what this verse points us to. You see, Christians are to be people shaped by the future, shaped by the promises that God gives. But you see, the plans, the plans that God gives the people in exile, the plan is is that he's going to bring them home. That's the plan. They're going to come home one day. That though they live in Babylon, one day God is going to bring them back. It's a plan of salvation, a rescue plan to bring his people home. And you know, whilst that promise was made to them in Babylon in 596 BC, for Christians today, for God's people today, God still makes the promise that he knows the plans for you, plural, us, as his people. The plan when one day we will be united with him forever. We will spend eternity with him forever. That is the plan. That is the promise of the hope and the future that the Christian has this morning. The plan is Revelation chapter 21. If you want to read it, I urge you after, read it. When no more harm can come on God's people. For us, it's a future promise, just like it was to those living in exile. And so going back to Jim Elliot, well, he knew the plans God had for him. Plans to prosper him and not to harm him. Plans to give him and God's people a hope and a future. He knew that was to come. It wasn't now. He lived in Babylon now. Life is tough in Babylon. There's suffering in Babylon. But Jim lived his present life rooted in the future promises of God. And that promise shaped everything in his life. So much so that he could give his life to reach those unreached tribes. Because he knew the eternal plans that God had for him. He lived now in light of God's future promises. And you know, God did fulfill his promise to his people in exile. Exactly 70 years later, we read in Ezra and Nehemiah, God stirs the heart of the king to send his people back to Jerusalem. God is faithful to each of his promises. And so I hope this morning, we know that God is still faithful. God is faithful. And he will bring us to our eternal home, just like he brought those exiles back to their home. For the Christian, the best is yet to come. Isn't that amazing? That's our confidence. That's our hope. 
But Jeremiah also mentions the way in which this promise is going to be fulfilled in verse 12 and 13. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. The promise, this promise, God says, belongs to those who wholeheartedly love and trust the Lord Almighty. In fact, this promise fulfills something mentioned all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. I know it's a way back, but it says in Deuteronomy, but from there you will seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and all of your soul. And so because Jeremiah tells these people in exile the promise is going to come to his wholehearted people, well, surely it's a call to be wholehearted now. To again live now in light of God's future promises. And yet in all of this, I think back again to what it must have been like to be one of those exiles. To hear this promise that God is making to you. Plans to bring you back home. Plans to prosper. Plans for hope and a future. I mean, what part of their present experience looked like that was going to come true? Nothing. They had their enemies laughing at them. Babylon looked undefeatable. And they would probably have had people living in Babylon saying, where is your God? Nothing on the surface of things would give them any reason to believe the promise was going to come true. This was a promise that had to be received by faith. Faith in the faithfulness of God in everything that he's done. Despite what the world looked around them, the promise was to be received by faith. And Romans 4 verse 21 describes faith saying, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. And God has shown that to us in Jeremiah. But finally, and shortly, we see the third thing, which is plague, plant, promise, and plague. That's from verses 15 to 19. You see, after this message of hope to those who have first gone off into exile, the attention now turns back to those remaining in Jerusalem. King Zedekiah and all the rest, to those that we see in verse 19 who have not listened to my words. And from verses 17 to 18, we see we get an overwhelming word of judgment pronounced on people that just refuse to listen to the word of the Lord. Again, at the end of verse 19, we see words that I have sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets. Do you know, we remembered at the start how many opportunities God had given his people to turn back to him, to listen to him. But it almost seemed that the more they heard, the more their heart was hardened. And you know, in verse 17, we see it says, and I will make them like the figs, that are so bad they cannot be eaten. We might be thinking, what's going on? Figs. But you know, this points us back to a chapter 24 in Jeremiah. 
And Jeremiah is shown two baskets of figs. One is good, one is bad. And the bad figs were going to experience God's judgment. And sure enough, in the year 587 BC, 10 years after the first exiles had gone into Babylon, Babylon came back again. And they destroyed Jerusalem and those in it. Do you know, it's a sobering reminder, isn't it, of God's judgment on those who refuse to listen to his word, who harden their hearts towards him. Do you know, it reminds me of a quote that I heard this week from someone who wasn't even a Christian, but who completely understood the logic of God's judgment. They said, well, if you rejected God now, why then should you expect to be with God in the future? He totally got it, even though he didn't follow Jesus. And yet mercifully, graciously, generously this morning, God's judgment has not yet come. And yet even though it's what I deserve this morning, Jesus has made a way of rescue, hasn't he? That is what we've remembered this morning. Jesus bled and he died on that cross to take my punishment in my place so that I could be forgiven and so that I don't have to have verse 17 of Jeremiah 29 as the promise for my future, but rather I can have Jeremiah 29 verse 11 as the promise for my future. That is what Jesus has given us as his people, the promise of eternal life and not eternal death. There is no more incredible, more wonderful news this morning. There isn't. In the year 1652, when through England all things sacred were either profaned or neglected, this church was built, not this church, sorry, um, by Sir Robert Shirley, whose special praise it is to have done the best of things in the worst of times and to have hoped them in the most calamitous. Do you know, I hope this morning we've seen how God calls us, his exiled people, to live now in light of what he's going to do in the future. And even though it might seem like another week where it seems like everyone and everything points to the promises of God not coming true, Well, let's know this. God says, I know the plans I have for you. The eternal plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That is what we are heading for. That is our hope, our confidence as those who follow Jesus today. And so as we continue in life in Babylon, with all of its sufferings and hardships and opposition, let's fix our eyes on that promise, living now in light of what God's going to do in the future, when Christ will come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and for your promise to us. We thank you that we as your people, as people who love you and trust you, 
We thank you that you have given us the promise of one day having eternal life. That one day you will come and you will reign in glory. Lord Jesus, we know that we're not home yet. And we're desperate to come home. We long to be home. But Lord, we appreciate that you have given us a job to do. You have given us a mission to be salt and light to this world, to the people around us. And so we pray that this week you would give us opportunities to do that, to be a blessing to those around us, that they might see something of you in us and that that might lead them to coming and calling you Lord and Saviour. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.